0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. My name is Mitch Michaels. Delighted that you're listening to this week's show. I'm going to be joined by my buddy from the Yahoo Sports betting realm, Kent Brown. We talk about a lot of discussions, college football realignment, some NFL news, Baker Mayfield traded to the Panthers for my Browns, Heinz Field renamed, the Open Championships in golf, Wimbledon results. It's a jam-packed show. We also spend a lot of time talking about NHL free agency. And we recorded this yesterday when it looked like Evgeny Malkin and Gino was going to be leaving the Penguins. That did not happen. He's back in Pittsburgh, four-year deal, a little over $6 million a year. Sydney got him in line. But in the context of the conversation, we thought it was all trending the other direction. So uh, bear with us with that. Otherwise, get ready for a good show. Kent Brown is one of a kind. We cover a lot of sports, a lot of topics, a lot of news and notes. It's the Money Mitch Effect. My name is Mitch Michaels. Let's start the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Mitch Michaels here. We've got a, a week of July off-season stuff here. Joining me now on the show, frequent guest. He's come a long way since I found him under the Queensboro Bridge. Kent Brown. Thank you for uh, for coming back.
1: I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it was an interesting time in my life, and uh, fortunately, the fifteen dollars came quite a bit in hand whenever I needed it so I was fortunate to meet you at that time and now we've been good friends ever since.
0: Yeah it really has you've really grown a lot in uh, saying well not yes to everything but you've definitely grown a lot. Uh, sports world in July is always you know an interesting time it slows down but we have some off-season notes we've got golf and tennis going on in baseball and uh, some time to kind of sit back there, there's really a lot to get to that I wanted to break down I want to start with the NHL, and Ken, I want to start with your hometown team, which we were talking about before. This really could be the end of an era and a golden era for a franchise that has seen so many great moments, but Chris Letang is coming back. He signed that big deal, a lot of money on the back end for the veteran defenseman, but Evgeny Malkin looks to be heading towards the open market, something that's surreal for hockey fans and especially Penguin fans, but Malkin no longer a Penguin, which appears to be heading that way. Kent really would signify the end of an era and just wouldn't look normal in the sense of a lot of hockey fans
1: those three Malkin Crosby and Latang were so vital with their cups and not, not only that but just the identity of what the Penguins were so look I thought going into the free agency or in the offseason that more than likely Latang would end up going elsewhere Malkin would stay and that would be what happens as it's transpired Latang inked his deal and Seemingly a pretty friendly deal for the Penguins overall. But for Getty Malkin, look, I understand that he thinks he's worth more than what the Penguins think he's worth. And at this point in the franchise, at this point in his career, you know, you can't just bring somebody back and overpay them if you feel like he's not worth that value. It's been a great run. He'll be one of the best five Penguins ever. Uh, He's certainly at times. He was the best player on the team in significant runs when they've needed him. As Crosby was the best player from start to finish, but there were series, there were playoffs, there were times when Crosby was out that Evgeny Malkin carried this team and led this franchise. So it does, it kind of stings in some ways. You know, I always loved Gino and loved rooting for him. I didn't necessarily love Latang game in and game out. He was a guy that, you know, he was great but he also made a lot of mistakes that made you cringe a bunch. And at times you're like, okay, if this guy ends up leaving, I'm not going to really miss him. But I never thought that way about Malkin. But again, I get it. It's a business. You can't keep everybody. Mm -hmm. And if you just don't think the veterans worth it, then you have to move on from it. And look, nobody's going to look back at his career and say that like, it was like when Yager got traded away or somebody like that, that was like in his prime or in his great years, this is, towards the end of his career, and if another team can give him a couple more million a year, which will happen, so be it, but it is the end of an era, as you said, and it's disappointing in that it would have been cool if all three of them played their entire careers with just the one franchise, but it's just unrealistic to think in today's Era of pro sports
0: that that's going to happen. Well, I, I do want to ask you about uh, Malkin in terms of the Penguins fan side of things because I've always felt like, and we've talked about this before many times, Malkin has that high end game that was arguably in a lot of big games better than, than Crosby. But I thought that Penguins fans, I guess sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly, were a little critical of of Gino because he didn't always bring it game in game out. They saw this amazing potential to be the best player in the league, which he was on some nights, but. Fairly or unfairly, and that's where I turn it over to you, I feel like Penguins fans were a little critical that he wasn't bringing it as consistently as a guy like Crosby, who, again, is an all-time great. Might not be fair to compare him there, but Malkin did kind of have that love-hate
1: relationship with the fans at times. Well, I think if you look at both of them, Crosby always looks like he is giving 100% and he's into it and mentally he doesn't check out of a game or doesn't commit that really stupid penalty that ends up costing the team. (laughs) Just punch someone
0: in the back of the head right in front of the referee.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Malkin, on the other hand, will do stuff like that where you just go, how dumb are you to think you can get away with this? But the one thing Malkin did have was, and sometimes he brought it out, he had that bigger... Physicality the way Mario Lemieux had so when Malkin made that amazing play He kind of resembled Lemieux a little bit more than what Crosby ever does mm-hmm. in terms of you know Crosby's more like a Gretzky type of guy where Malkin's more of a Lemieux in terms of just build yeah. and when he does the great thing It stands out more like if you put Crosby's best four or five plays ever and match them up with Malkin's yeah. Malkin's probably gonna resonate more with the Penguins fan base because it looks more like Lemieux where Crosby looks like it's more of a, you know, this is great, but almost more like a Gretzky, but it's just the day-to-day stuff is what yeah. I think brought in. And also, to be fair, and this isn't something that sits right with most people, but Crosby, you know, a Canadian guy, uh, more fan-friendly. Malkin's the Russian guy, doesn't say as much, is more quiet, yeah. is gonna only really speak when he has to, you know, is not ne- necessarily going to be like the face of the franchise, the way that mm-hmm. Sidney Crosby has always been. So on that level, it did change things, where if, if you took up Getty Malkin, but all of a sudden you said everything about him physically is the same, but the guy's from Canada yeah. or he's from the United States, I think fans would have embraced him a little bit more. But as you know, the Russian players always – outside of like in Detroit where they kind of had that whole you know Russian group going there for like 10 or 15 years, most other fan bases don't warm up to the Russian players the way they do American and Canadian.
0: It's a little different for sure. Uh, He's an all-time great Hall of Famer. They kind of screwed him by not making him one of the top 100 all-time, I thought, Uh, and I also thought he had some moments, like the one where he fought Zetterberg in the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, That kind of just showed, it set the tone for them the year that they actually won it. So I thought you know, he's had his moments where he goes. I mean, the Rangers are in the running. I think, you know, the Hurricanes have money. That would be insane. And and the team Kent that I don't know if the financials work. I just know how he is versus where he spends time and how much the Russians love going down to Florida. But I could see the Panthers down there. I, I actually heard today that Gonchar has got a place down there and might be into the recruiting. Huh. So um, we'll see. I mean, the market's going to be interesting. It's also a matter of Does he want the big contract money and he'll just take the highest bidder? Or is he just looking at the grass as greener and maybe he's just looking to, you know, play some big, meaningful hockey? He's going to have some suitors, but he's going to have to decide what to prioritize as well.
1: Yeah, selfishly, I'd like him in the Western Conference just so there's not a potential playoff series of Evgeny Malkin matched up with the Penguins unless it's a cup finals. Uh, I think he probably goes somewhere that he has a chance to make a run. I would be a little surprised if it's just all about the money and he goes somewhere that has no realistic shot of at least being a conference semifinal or conference finals type of team. And I also hope he goes to a team like that. I don't want to see Evgeny Malkin on a team that's, you know, a bottom feeder where he's playing well, but the team has no relevance. I would love to, you know, next spring to put on the cup playoffs and Mm. see Evgeny Malkin be in a meaningful series that matters. As I said, I just hope it's not. (laughs) conference team where it's him against the penguins or it's him making a run with a team. I don't particularly care for.
0: Yeah. And we kind of all know who those are. Uh, Yeah. There's some other big interesting notes in the free agency uh, market. Johnny Gaudreau, Johnny hockey is like the biggest name out there, Kent. And I feel like, you know, he's keeping it close to the vest Calgary. The longer this draws out, you don't think he's going to go back there. Uh, All the rumors about his hometown teams, the New Jersey devils are big spenders. They have money here. Ah, uh, the Flyers were actually the team he grew up rooting for in South Jersey, but I don't know that him and Torts are there. I keep looking at the market of what these guys want to do, and I keep—I've said it before with Malkin, but the Carolina Hurricanes have money. They won their division last year. I feel like that could be a, a fit for him as well. But I think Johnny Hockey is, is a safe bet to get the most money in free agency.
1: Yeah, it would seem like that man. If Carolina can land him, that they're a team that I was—I thought they would be very likely to you know, make a run for the cup last year. And, you know, unfortunately for them, they didn't quite get there, but overall they are not far off. And, you know, you, if you had you know, that type of free agent, that could be scary. And that would be a team that I would think would certainly be the division favorite. You could potentially say Eastern conference favorite as well. And, uh, you know, I guess until proven otherwise, you have to kind of say Tampa is still the Eastern Conference favorite because they've been there and done it now well
0: yeah that's uh, true so and, and that but I mean,
1: eventually they'll fall
0: well that's the thing I mean they have a core that's got some years left and and you know they McDonough's out they've kind of moved on from certain players which is how it works but uh, Palat's the name I keep looking at because you know he wasn't he's slightly better Kent than that than that third line contingent that's moved on the Barkley goodrows the uh I'm forgetting the guy's name. Coleman Blake Coleman, who who was there as well, won a ring. Uh Palat scored a lot of big games, seventh round pick there. I feel like he's someone that he's about to hit the market. He might get overpaid for. He's someone that could go. I mean, there's still some names. Nazim Kadri's one too, what he meant to the avalanche. I mean, if he takes less money to go back to Colorado, it's a terrifying thing for the rest of the league. But I feel like he's someone that can help a team immediately. And you know, you need a role, you need a player that's more than a role player, but not quite that first line guy.
1: Yeah, that, and not not only you want guys that have experience deep into the playoffs and Cup experience always helps. So you know, if any franchise that is maybe close, they're on the fringe. You know, you're one or two players away, and you can afford it. I would always go after guys that have that type of experience and guys that have, you know, won a cup or have been there because that matters again. There's and we know this in most sports and all pretty much every pro sport, there's regular season and then there's postseason. Yeah. And the mentality's different. And that's not to say the guys aren't great at both, and mm-hmm. a lot of players are, mm-hmm. but I want proven players in the playoffs. And you know, whether it's in the NBA. NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball, all of it. If you have guys that have done it on that stage, I would take, you know, maybe in the regular season, they're not quite as good. And you look at the numbers and you go, ah, well, how can I justify this? But the postseason matters. And that's what I'm saying. You don't bring in, you know, guys that have cup, runs on crappy teams because it doesn't matter it's like you know i used to laugh back in the day when the pirates for years every year it would be like their closer <laughs> would be the all-star and it would be like yeah they have to trade him because what does a good closer mean <laughs> on a crappy baseball yeah. team nothing but on a team that contends it mm-hmm. means a lot the same goes with as you said so if you can bring in you know cadre and he's just won a cup like that's a big deal and it matters and and I think that there's a lot of teams that would like to have a guy like that on their roster, and there's plenty of teams. The one thing about the NHL is there's probably half the league that goes into the season thinking they have a legitimate shot at the Cup. Now, whether that's realistic...
0: Oh, yeah. I not. mean, I would say probably like maybe a little less than half for the Cup, but probably close to 20 to 25 on like serious playoff aspirations. You know, 16 yeah. get in, and then it's like just get in, get hot, and we could see what happens.
1: Yeah, realistically, it's probably nine or ten teams that could make the Cup Finals, and <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't be surprised. Those are all the teams that should be trying yeah. to add well, any sort of <laughs> asset that's been there and done
0: that. It's not the Blackhawks. <laughs> not, not next year, because what they're doing— even,
1: Honestly, I'm not even sure the Penguins would go into that top ten. Well, I think they would be in that top sixteen, I, yeah, but not top ten.
0: I don't know. I mean, it's tough to say, because if their guys are healthy, we'll see if they make moves to retool if Malkin goes, but— I don't know. what I just brought up Chicago because they're having a fire sale. Yeah. They're trading away all their young talent, which is strange because this is the last year of Patrick Kane's mega deal and Jonathan Tavis' mega deal that they signed, which made them the highest-paid players in the league. So they're going to have a real thing to determine next year. It sounds like they're tanking for that Connor Bedard, who's probably—he was a better prospect than everybody that was drafted this year, the Canadian kid for next year's draft, so— it's interesting there. I brought up the Blackhawks, too, because Duncan Keith retired Can't I just want to give him a shout-out. That's a Hall of Fame defenseman, three-time Stanley Cup winner, Norris Trophy winner, Conn Smythe winner, and one of the nastiest dudes to play on the blue line. Uh, and also yeah, got that Big Ten. I mean, not the conference when he played, but a Michigan State guy as well.
1: It's wild to think about because now you think of the Blackhawks' run, and it seems like it was forever ago, but it wasn't that long it's ago. Seven years I mean, ago, they won. Yeah, Yeah. Exactly. It wasn't it wasn't that long, but it seems like it was 20 years ago in terms of because they've just been so irrelevant the last few years. And there's been because we saw another dynasty emerge with the lightning, it kind of diminished in some ways a little bit of like what the Blackhawks dynasty was or the Penguins, which I consider those dynasties to me. Like if you win three cups in six years, that's a dynasty. The Penguins, you know, won their three cups in a little bit longer of a span. But to me, that's still, if you can get three Cups in a decade, that works as a dynasty. The Lightning were able to win two in a row very quickly, and one of those was a COVID year, so it kind of seems a little bit odd. But overall, man, those Blackhawk teams, it is a shame that there was never that Mm Blackhawks-Penguins signature Cup series sometime between 2010 and 2020, because Mm -hmm. I think that would have really been a decider of which franchise really won this decade. It's, you know, it's a shame it never happened. It's almost surprising it never did. But you're right. Like, whenever you look at those Blackhawk teams, you mentioned the end of an era for the Penguins. It's really (laughs) the end of an era for the Blackhawks. It's been that way for a few years. But once those names are not on your roster, uh, that's where it's going to really hit them. But look, you win three cups. I don't really like I'm the type of fan that I would rather win win it all and then have five to ten years of somewhat mediocrity and always be like a perennial, like the Atlanta Braves for a long time. The Vancouver Canucks
0: uh, were like that, you know, yeah. their teams are up there. And, and I got to add the Kings there. It's kind of funny that the 2010s were three teams dominating the decade, you know, and like Kings Blackhawks yeah. were some of the best series that I can remember watching. So um, again, you know, props to Keith, hell of a career. He'll be in the Hall of Fame very soon. Uh, last thing on hockey, the draft we uh, and Ken, I think you have some blood there, but two uh, Slovaks going one, two first time ever
1: yeah and then how about the number three pick was a Western yeah. PA guy from West Mifflin PA Sidney uh, Crosby's
0: to- little penguins like that's how that's paying yeah. it forward to the next generation born in 04 probably directly played the game because of Crosby and his impact on the team in this in the area
1: yeah and he's from West Mifflin which is literally the exact town of where, so you mentioned Slovaks. Uh, I grew up with my grandma's side of the family from Slovakia. Uh, we went to a Slovak Catholic church, Holy Trinity Catholic church in West Mifflin. So, uh, you know, that's the exact same town as that number three pick. So it, it's cool. There's it the highest, uh, the highest draft in of all time, clearly the highest drafted prospect ever from Western PA. And as you mentioned, uh, Little Penguin grew, grew up, Uh, in that system, you know, played with the development program with uh, the U18 national team, and uh, it's cool to see that. You know, Uh, Mm -hmm. I think whenever you think of Western PA sports, everyone thinks football first, and justifiably so. It's not a basketball city, but it is starting to get better with hockey. There's been several guys over the course. uh, I mean, you look at, you even mentioned those Blackhawk teams. You know, you had Saad. He's a Western PA guy. We've had other guys like R.J. Um, And, you know, there's been guys that have sprinkled into the league over times. But I think that Western PA is becoming bigger for hockey. And it's cool to see a top five pick. And as you mentioned, the Slovaks, anytime you can get a couple Mm -hmm. high-end picks from Slovakia, it's pretty cool as well.
0: Ken Brown here on the Money Mitch Effect. Well, you mentioned it, uh, football. I want to spend a couple minutes here talking about college football realignment. We haven't really chatted uh, publicly since this has uh, kind of happened, since the USC-UCLA dominoes fell fell going to the Big Ten. And ever since then, we've heard the rumblings, the rumors, what's left for the Pac-12, Oregon. you got Phil Knight ringing up the phones. I think he called me asking me, actually, if they could get into a conference. But you've got all this stuff coming. Notre Dame sitting out there. What is the ACC going to do? Is that TV deal going to get voided quickly with ESPN? Just some initial thoughts, Ken, on first the move of USC and UCLA your initial reaction to them going to the Big Ten and what it might mean for the future of college football and the future of these teams that are not in the two mega conferences right now?
1: My initial reaction was almost like desperation coming through uh, just because I knew UCLA was financially in some real trouble and seemingly this kind of gets them out from underneath, where I think it was, they were roughly a hundred million dollars in debt, basically as an athletic program, which is crazy to think about. For USC, the desperation part for me is not necessarily as high as UCLA, but it does show me how much they were worried about the future of the Pac-12 and what it meant to fall that far behind compared to the Big Ten and the SEC, and that becomes the overall bigger argument with all of this is is because, look, the Pac-12 could have survived. The Big 12 could survive. The ACC might survive. But the difference is they're all so far behind financially mm-hmm. compared to the SEC and the Big 10. And that becomes an element of, as an athletic program, if you are at the top of your conference, which is what USC is, I wouldn't put UCLA quite there, especially in football, although I expect them to have a very good year. But you're if you're USC... You start to look at the national landscape and you say, we are the ones who kind of run this conference for the most part. Why is Rutgers making potentially 50 or 60 more million dollars a year than us? Why is Vanderbilt making 60 more million? Missouri, South Carolina, Maryland, Purdue. So then that all makes sense. The weird part of it is Sending all your athletic programs to all these Big Ten locations, I mean, you and I are from Western PA and you're from Northeast Ohio, you know, Big Ten region, so to speak, you know, with Ohio State and Penn State being there. Nothing about that region says Southern California. And it's going to be weird when USC has basketball teams and baseball in particular. Is going to be the really weird one because Big Ten baseball is awful. And <laughs> it's, it's really bad. Not good. And, <laughs> and Pac-12 baseball is elite. There's been yeah. several national champions, including the UCLA Bruins, that have come from the Pac-12 in this last decade. But I get it. F- football runs the show. That's the number one priority. Yeah. And ultimately, money is what matters. But when people start breaking down college football, and it, it's losing its identity. I'm fine with NIL. I think the transfer portal can get tweaked a bit. I don't necessarily love well, everything about it. We're in the wild, wild west with that,
0: right? I mean, like, yeah. the, like the NIL and the transfer portal, like I understand the positives from it, but there's still a lot to figure out and that's just going to take time. I don't think that college football losing its identity is funny because I agree that we're kind of getting away from what we grew up with and, you know, it won't be that anymore, but I don't look at this. I, I don't look at it as one thing. I think it's just a culmination of all these little moves. You could say, like, the depth, you know, go ahead, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I think the conference realignment part, though, is the part that actually, to me, is valid with the whole, like, losing its identity. Because, again, NIL and Transfer Portal, ultimately, when you watch the sport on a Saturday or you look at the top 25 poll or you start to kind of week by week follow the sport, I don't think any of that's going to really factor in unless you're a real diehard fan that follows recruiting day to day or, you know, every player on your roster. But the conference realignment part of it is bothersome just because you want there to be regional identities. You want there to be rivalries that matter. You want there to be a reason why, you know, I look at like a school like West Virginia that is not far away from where I grew up. They have no cultural identity in the Big 12 whatsoever, but that was their landing spot. That's where they are. The closest team to them in their conference is Iowa State. I mean, there's nobody, as far as I know, that's really spent much time in Morgantown and Ames, Iowa, that would consider that a rivalry. Uh, And I would hope that it doesn't go to the two conferences. I don't like the whole idea about, well, it's just eventually going to be an AFC and NFC and people love pro football, they'll watch college the same no, way. No, yeah, it's like, not the same. Not like, college-
0: exactly. And uh, I think it was the Kevin Clark article that outlined that pretty good, how it's not why people watch it and why it's so unique is what makes it so popular. Um, do you think though we might get to a point where it's Big Ten, SEC, do their own thing and just deviate away, deviate away from a college football playoff?
1: Yeah, I think it's possible just because of how significant the money is with those two conferences. I do think, though, the last couple weeks since USC and UCLA have both moved on, I would have been a bit more worried if we all of a sudden saw the Big Ten add four more West Coast teams and now it's (laughs) 20-plus and all of that. Because the one thing is this ACC TV deal is interesting because they are an ESPN entity the same way the SEC is. So if ESPN all of a sudden starts – having ACC teams shift to the SEC, that really doesn't help its it's product with the ACC being locked in. I hope we stay at this point. I'm starting to think five major conferences is unrealistic, but I would like for there to be four. And if that means the big 12 and the pac 12 come to some sort of merger or the big 12, frankly, just steals Four to six pack, 12 schools, so be it. The ACC is in pretty good shape as the third conference right now, but because that TV deal is locked in until 2036, they just can't make the money, the ACC or the Big Ten are. And then there is Notre Dame. Notre Dame is the wild card to all of this. Uh, it's been pretty evident, and I know some people have disagreed. They say, oh, well, we know it's all about the money. Notre Dame's kind of showing for them it's not really all about the money because they actually get less money than all the ACC teams with their NBC deal mixed in with their ACC deal. They certainly get a ton less. Than the SEC and the Big Ten, mm-hmm. but I think as long as there's a path to a playoff, that's.
0: I'm so glad you brought that up because that I've heard the arguments on both sides about leverage and Notre Dame has all the leverage, and then the other side's like, "Well, no, now they have to do something." I don't think they have to do anything. I don't think that it's necessarily leverage. I think it is the path to the playoff. I think if the Big Ten and SEC go into a business with themselves, which they might, that might be when Notre Dame is kind of. Forced or decides to to make a move, but other than that, I don't see any reason for them to do it if they haven't really done it yet. Would be my take on the whole situation.
1: Exactly. Notre Dame's hand will be forced if it's pretty evident that the playoff is unrealistic for them to get to uh, under their current system. But again, until the ACC stuff is figured out and the Big Twelve, Pac twelve stuff is figured out in some facet, uh, it looks like the Big Ten's going to hold firm at sixteen. They're kind of on a Notre Dame invite list, if you want to join, you're welcome to join. And the SEC doesn't seem to be in any hurry to try to poach anyone away, especially if the penalty is in upwards of hundreds of millions of dollars for these ACC schools. And look, the playoff is going to get revamped in a couple of years. Uh, the ACC was very stupid. I know Dan Wetzel has, has written about this countless times and on the Yahoo podcast, him and Pat Forty, you know, basically just called out the ACC and the Pac-12 for being you know, dumbasses, as they say, for not agreeing to the 12-team playoff system last year, which would have guaranteed six auto bids for about a <laughs> 20-year contract. Yeah. And instead, that would have saved those conferences, at least in the facet of whoever wins that conference is getting in in some way. Yeah. Now there's the SEC and Greg Sankey and the Big 12 and Kevin Warren. That's where okay. the power lies. And if those two conference commissioners, pretty much say this is the way we want the playoff to be that's going to be the way the playoff is going to be yeah and i have a feeling there's not going to be those six auto bids happening anymore uh especially when you have 16 team conferences where national brands and look i've read like Andy Staples had an article on this. Stuart Mandel put out his, you know, hierarchy list of, you know, the kings and the barons and everyone else, and pretty much every top program now in the country that's relevant outside of Notre Dame and Clemson or in one of those two conferences. Uh, so now you look at it and you start to say, do the SEC and the Big Ten need the Big Twelve? Do they need a Pac-12 without USC and UCLA? That would be no. <laughs> do they need an ACC? Especially if you can poach your Miami, Clemson, Florida State away, I don't think you need those other programs. So that's where these conferences have to find a way to stay together. And even though they'll be the third and fourth best conferences, they'll still be relevant enough to get in the playoff every year. And to me, that's a big win right now, where if you're Pitt, your NC State, your Wake Forest, your Oregon State, your Washington, your Utah, as long as you have that path to the playoffs, it's not the biggest deal in the world if you don't happen to be in those two conferences making the elite money. But my t- my guess is, Mitch, ultimately we will have those two major conferences just because the TV money will be so significant and so high. But it looks like we've at least avoided that happening very quickly.
0: It's going to be fun. I mean, it's fun for some for schools and frame bases, maybe not the others, but college football realignment is uh, is. The plot is just getting warmed up, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, Kent, before we go to uh, the Open Championships in St. Andrews, just two quick uh, NFL notes I want to get your take on. First being Baker Mayfield of the Carolina Panthers. Now, I had already made my piece that he was a goner. The deal itself, the, the only good thing for me is that they got, they, we didn't have to retain all of his salary, but Baker's going to Carolina, who's collecting all those quarterbacks from the same draft, and we'll see if he plays.
1: Yeah, I think that he has a decent shot. I just it's pretty evident they don't they want to move on from Darnold like you don't bring in Baker Mayfield this year. You don't have like the Bridgewater thing last year and then P.J. Walker, uh, you know, all those type of guys. If you don't think that there's some relevance, Darnold at the end of the day, Darnold hasn't shown much of anything where at least Baker Mayfield has. You know, he won that playoff game at Heinz Field a couple years ago at, at moments. You know, the toughness shows up. He makes plays i don't think baker mayfield's a bad nfl quarterback but i don't think he's the type of guy you want on a franchise that's trying to win a super bowl either so i look at the carolina panthers and if matt rule wants to save his job i do think baker mayfield's the guy you ultimately go with now he has to go there learn the system win the job i understand all that but to me you don't bring him in if you don't think he has a pretty good shot to win that job and uh upend another quarterback in the same draft class that's kind of on his last leg as well. And for Baker, it's a big year for him where, you know, he's trying to get another contract. He'll never get the major contract everyone thought he was going to get a couple years ago. But if he has a good year and Carolina is a decent team, somebody's going to pay him to be their starting quarterback. And to me, that's all you can ask for right now if you're him. You know, if you're the Cleveland Browns now, I also feel like this is probably a sign that you think Deshaun Watson will be back at some point this season. I don't think you make this deal right. uh, unless you kind of have a hunch that he will be your starting quarterback, whether it's six games, 10 games, 12 games, whatever it may be. But uh, for Carolina, it's a low-risk move. And you know overall, I will. W- I don't say I like it or love it. It's kind of whatever it is. But I do think he's better than Sam Darnold, and I do think he'll win that job. <laughs>
0: I, uh, I don't full-on dislike Baker. He won a playoff game, obviously. Um, but, you know, it was time to move on given the direction the franchise wanted to go in. And uh, I understand it. Football's a business, so best of luck to him. And uh, we'll see what happens in Carolina. Uh, last thing, Ken, speaking of that, you know, Baker did win the last official playoff game in Heinz Field. So no, no longer Heinz Field. Uh, we're, your thoughts on, you know, just how, how it works with the naming rights here? You know, obviously it's not... Officially Heinz Heinz Field, but I feel like it's going to be referred to that for many many decades to come.
1: Yeah, if, if they would have just made it like UPMC Stadium or something that's kind of like a Pittsburgh deal, like I, I think people would have embraced like Ying, it. Eventually. Yingling Stadium. Yeah, High Highmark Stadium, Yingling. Yeah, anything like that. But I mean, you have Acresure, which nobody had ever heard of. It's a In a financial tech insurance based company in Michigan. I mean, you read uh, sentence by sentence of what they do. And it sounds like it's like uh, glorified money (laughs) laundering system. Uh, And I just, I mean, look, they'll be on the signs uh, whenever you get off the exit and you're coming from the airport and the Fort Pitt tunnel opens. It will probably just say stadium. I don't even know if they'll put Acroshore on there, uh, but it'll be Heinz Field to most people. Uh, It's kind of like, the same thing goes with, I mean, the Penguins was a little different because the Igloo was the historic one. Then it was console energy. Now it's now it's, it's, it's PPG Paints. I think most people probably still say console, but that's not that big of a difference. Yeah. But Heinz Field has so many memories. It was also a Pittsburgh staple. It's an easy thing to say. Uh, so, you know, it's it's disappointing they moved on from it. I can't ever blame a franchise for just taking the $10 million a year. And, you know, I think Heinz does have a pretty good imprint across the United States and the world that I don't expect them to lose a lot of business that they, that they're no longer the naming fee of Heinz field, but overall after sure, it's just, it's not something that I think no. a lot of Pittsburghers are going to embrace.
0: No, but I mean, I went through it too, uh, where the Cleveland now guardians played with Jacobs field for a lot of years and they went progressive and you know, it's uh, there's not a lot into an official name. You're just going to always refer to what, especially your childhood was, but also just what, the best memories were if it had and a. You lot still of time. call
1: it the Jake, right? I would yeah. imagine if oh, you're yeah. there yeah. and you're going, you're going to be like, "Okay, we're heading over to the Jake mm-hmm. at six." It yeah. starts at seven. Like hey, you're not called it yet. It's new name.
0: All right, Kent. Moving on, Kent Brown here. I want to chat with you about the uh, Open Championships, the last golf major of the year, uh, which is still a little. Speaking of just traditions, I'm still a little, you know, it takes some getting used to that. You know, the PGA isn't after this. Just uh, how we grew up with it, but. It's the last golf major of the year, fourth month in a row of it. St. Andrew's historic course. Uh, the stars were out outside of Greg Norman. He was not invited, but a lot of famous people, famous members of the golf game were. And I uh, just want to go over some of the contenders. First of all, who to you stands out in that first crop of guys, a couple names that you think deserve to be the favorite going into this tournament, given how they play and also you know playing the type of golf you need to over there?
1: I think Spieth is a reliable guy that you can depend on. He's very good in Lynx golf. He's very good in open championships. Uh, you know, he's somebody who has been playing well. Uh, if he shores up his putting a little bit, uh, he very easily could have won one of his last couple events. Uh, Shoffley is playing as well as he's ever played. You know, he won a am two weeks ago. Uh, he won the Scottish Open last week his last, I mean, the last three weeks Xander Shoffley has been in that event. He's won that event. Uh, of course, one of them was a program, so it doesn't count, but he's been exceptional. I think his golf game translates. Uh, his big issue was up until a few weeks ago, he had never won for years on the tour, unless it was a team event or it was like a shortened, you know, 40 to 50 person field. So it'll be interesting to see if he steps up, but you know, Schauffele is a guy that there's no reason to think he won't compete this week. Uh, Patrick Cantley is a name that's interesting to me. He doesn't play particularly well in majors all that much. But if you look at his last five or six events, you know, he's had three top fives in his last six events. Yeah. Five of his top, you know, five top 15s. And he's somebody who I wouldn't say pick him to win, but. Odds are, if you bet him in top 20 or top five or top 10, he's going to be somewhere in that range, and you're probably going to watch on Sunday. I guess I I can't really say Sunday afternoon, depending on what uh, time zone you're in, because this is the the, the British Open. But I think is going to be a guy who, you know, he'll be like fourth place on Sunday, and you'll go like, ah, man, he didn't win, but that would have been a nice top five or top 10 bet to have. A guy that's kind of a sleeper to me and I wish he would have played the last couple of months he was injured. But Paul Casey, mm. I know Paul Casey j- just joined the Live Golf Tour, so he <laughs> will be at the next event for them that will be in, in, in New Jersey. He, the last event he completed was the Players' Championship. He finished third place, and then he got hurt in the match play event and had the withdrawal. But he's a guy I really like taking in these type of events, and his odds are significantly down because he hasn't played in months. So look, he might lay an egg. This is the first competitive event that Paul Casey's had since March. But there's also an upside to that is that if his game is ready and he's near a hundred percent, you're going to get Paul Casey at some crazy odds.
0: It would be really funny by the way, if Paul Casey uh, was in contention down the stretch and the PGA officials just screwed him. <laughs> like it was a wrestling storyline. <laughs> like somehow something happened. Um, and, and yeah, again, again, I wouldn't yeah.
1: take him to win, but yeah. at top 40, top 20, top, I wouldn't, probably even not a top 10, although the odds, I mean, I'm looking right now. Those are the I best bets. And mean.
0: I agree with you. I mean, you make those top 10 bets, it's, it's kind of nice. I, I really do think that. Um, what, and just, just a quick question, too. Was Speed the last guy to win back to back majors? Is he the last guy to do it?
1: Yeah, yeah, because Spieth got yeah. hot a, f- a few years back mm-hmm. in 2017. So is Matt and Fitzpatrick, a the, of them. does
0: the local guy have a chance to do that? I mean, how are we feeling about, you know, what he did at the U.S. Open, parlaying that into this one?
1: He's very reliable. He doesn't do anything poorly. So, uh, you know, he's one of those guys I almost never find myself betting. Like, I'll bet against him and head the heads for some reason. And then he always, <laughs> he always beats me, and... Uh, <laughs> I, I I mean, even look at the last major uh, on that Sunday. I went with every other guy around him <laughs> but Fitzpatrick yeah. and missed out on it. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't think I'll pick him again. But there's no reason why you shouldn't feel confident grabbing him at a number, uh, especially because again he does everything well. And you you want to look at players at this type of course because St Andrews is different. I mean, you saw like back like I think it was like 2007 maybe or t- 2008 where Tom Watson, almost won, where he would have been like in his fifties. And he had that second shot on 18, a little too much adrenaline had the perfect club just happened for some reason, you know, over hit that club by 10 yards based on everything that his number said he would have hit it spot on ended up not getting up and down for the par lost the event, mm. but like guys in their forties and fifties are guys that are, You know, shorter hitters, a Zach Johnson type is one there. You can win at St. Andrews and not be this, you know, superstar 330-yard driver. You have to just understand, and they'll be talking about it this week, understand angles, avoid mishaps. So, you know, you do not want to put your ball in certain bunkers that you're pretty much just going to be penalized severely By landing it you have to know these greens you have to know where to land the ball on these greens and all of a sudden you know you have guys with playing experience that have been there and done that and that's where like it might be worth looking at you know some older veterans instead of a lot of these younger guys like maybe an Adam Scott could be a guy that steps up you know he's played at St. Andrews countless times you know you start to look at you know, I'm looking at like a Keegan Bradley who's been there, Sergio Garcia. You know, Paul Casey, who I mentioned earlier, guys that have you know not performed at high levels throughout their careers. Uh, guys that have showed up, but they're older. Uh, even a Kevin Kisner is a guy that you know I love. Kis, I'd love to see him make a run. He's never going to win like the U.S. Opens now, where they're 7,600 yards, and mm-hmm. you know you have to hit it 3:30 just to clear certain fairways, mm-hmm. but. Why could he not have a good week at St. Andrew's putt well and be a top five or top ten? So maybe look at some of those older guys. Potentially head-to-heads would be smart. And then there's the wild card of Phil Mickelson. Uh, At this point, Phil looks rough. He does not look very good. He's not gotten a lot of rounds. But what about the – I I was going to say,
0: what about on the golf course? How does he look?
1: Yeah. Well, his – to make him miss the cut, I saw with BetMGM it's minus 275 to miss the cut. So the, so the juice is there, but eh, if you have some money and you really don't think Phil's going to show up this week, that's not the worst bet to make. Maybe, though, what you do is you find a head-to-head matchup and you trust that the other person will beat him where the odds are a little bit closer. But I, I like – I think there will be one or two names on the leaderboard this weekend that are the older veterans – that yeah. you don't really expect them to show up, maybe a Mark Leishman or somebody like that, that all of a sudden it's you know Saturday and you're like, how's Mark Leishman two shots yeah. ahead of the field going mm-hmm. in the Sunday? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's somebody like that. I'd want Tiger to be one of those names. I think it's pretty safe to say I'll be making a Tiger to make the cut bet. Yeah. But anything outside of that would be pushing it just because you know he, it's hard for him to hold up for 72 holes.
0: I also just want to add uh, a guy you didn't mention who is the only major he hasn't done damage in, but Will Zalatoris. He's only played one he withdrew last year. Uh, you have uh, second-place finishes in all three other majors. So we'll see with Will.
1: Great call, too. And I, 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 I don't know why I didn't bring him up. <laughs> uh, at this point, you have to, you have to bet him in majors. And he's just been so good. You know, he still has yet to win his first tour event, but he's been knocking on the door in every significant event that there's been outside of, as you said, the Open Championship, which, you know, he did withdraw last year. But, I, yeah, there's no reason why you can't. I mean, if he can do it mm. at Augusta and he can do it at U.S. Opens and he can do it at PGA's, I don't know why he can't show up and perform well at St. Andrews. So, yeah, just on a flyer alone, you have to pretty much take him as a top 10 and think that, you know, until proven otherwise, he's probably going to do it.
0: Well, Kent, before I let you go, just uh, a couple more quick things. It's been fun here on the Money Mitch Effect. Um, had to talk about Wimbledon in the books now with Novak Djokovic winning again and uh, probably not going to be allowed to play in the U.S. Open. But 21 major titles and uh, still going strong. Beats Nick Kyrgios in a very eventful match on center court that just had the full Kyrgios experience as well.
1: Yeah, he's, uh, he's an interesting character, that's for sure. Uh, you know, it's one of those that tennis seems like the type of sport you want to exert as little energy off the court as you possibly yeah. can. And Kyrgios is one of those guys that seem to exert so much energy, uh, worried about the crowd, worried about decisions, talking to the umpire. And it's just like, you know, you're playing, as you said, the potential greatest of all time that's not necessarily where your energy need needs to go. And look, I know he had a great tournament made, made the finals. That's, that's a great accomplishment to be in the championship match at Wimbledon. But uh, it's also, as you said, it shows, you know, what, what champions are made of and the fact that Novak can step up there, you know, be tested, but prove he's the best, you know, the best in this field. Again, it's unfortunate that Nadal had that injury and, you know, by all accounts, you know, him, Just being able to survive that match and somehow winning it with, you know, less than stellar, uh, health is, is amazing. But, uh, yeah, it shows, I mean, tennis is more so than almost any other sport that there is, you know, that, uh, the macho man, the the cream rises to the top shows again. And, uh it's it's impressive and you said how many majors now 21
0: he's got 21 he's got seven wimbledons uh you know 35 which is normally older on the tennis side he's a year younger than rafa but he's always just been you know physically fit and it's always been projected that he will age better than the rest too so that's something to consider nadal plays a more physical style a best of five i mean that's what Kiryel's played well. That like, like he didn't. He had his issues with the box, with his team, and yelling and stuff. But he had a couple little dips in his game, which is to be expected. And you know, best of five is such a physical and mental challenge to beat these guys. That's why I think you add another, you know, couple sets to the mix. It just gets to be an impossible task.
1: Yeah, that and also, uh, just speaking of greatest of all times or guys that are legendary, I did just find this head to head on BetMGM, so it's probably available elsewhere. But if you're looking for a fun open championship bet to make Mm -hmm. there is a tiger woods phil mickelson head-to-head you can either bet them head-to-head where tigers minus 200 Phil's 160 or you can do the one that throws the tie or the draw into the mix and then it's minus 190 or plus 165 but that's a good one root for tiger
0: absolutely if you're
1: you're an anti-lift person you root against (laughs) Phil in that regard and it's just whoever's ahead whether both of them miss the cut, if one of them makes the cut. To me, that's a fun bet to make, and that's a lot better than making the minus 275 for Phil to miss the cut bet because that juice is so extreme. Now now you get it at minus 190 or minus 200. So uh, there you go. Tiger and Phil, the two biggest names in the sport for the last 30 years, have, their, have some juice in what is you know the 150th, uh british open at the most famous golf course in the world that kind of started this whole thing so uh to me there's just no reason not to make that bet and root for tiger this week
0: make those bets have some fun uh kent this was fun uh, i'm a little surprised though that you weren't named interim ceo of the wwe thought you'd get a <laughs> chance to run it
1: man that's uh it's, it's been an interesting month for for the mcfan family and uh you know the whole the whole deal there. I mean, got SummerSlam on the horizon. Yeah,
0: you'll be uh, out there.
1: I will be in Nashville in a couple of weeks. I mean, by that point, who knows if uh, Vince McMahon will be paying a hundred million in hush money? Are you gonna Are you gonna be the there for goes.
0: Are you gonna be there for Ric Flair's last breath? I mean, Ric Flair's last match.
1: <laughs> What's funny is I'm flying out that Sunday night, so I will not be there for that event. But if you did tell me, it would be like a uh, this is truly Ric Flair's last moment. Of professionalism, I would probably have to just you know bump the flight to Monday and show up there. But uh yeah, that's uh I don't know. I can't say it's exploitative because at the end of the day, it is pro wrestling, and there's been a lot worse things that have happened with exploiting wrestlers than yeah. this. But uh, if Ric Flair happens to die in the ring, uh, that would be that would be what probably the third weirdest wrestling story of the last couple of years.
0: Probably, <laughs> I don't even know. There's if it's been some tough, weird dude. ones. Uh, Kent, this was fun, man. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Of course, man. I appreciate it.
0: Kent Brown on the Money Mitch Effect. If you like it, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect. It comes right up. Follow me on Twitter, Money Mitch M21. Follow Kent at Kent Pod on Twitter. And check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for some exclusive content there. We'll be back next week to talk some more sports storylines for Kent Brown. on Mitch Michaels as well as the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you for listening. Keep enjoying sports.